Welcome to The Conversation. My name is Benjamin Dixon, filling in, and as always, host of The Benjamin Dixon Show and The Morning Trap. I'm excited to be joined today <clears throat> by Bayon Junum and Marley Clements from Vice TV as we discuss their series, their documentary that's coming up about QAnon. I just really want to bring you onto the screen at this point because as I, uh, I'm excited to have this conversation with you because your work in this area couldn't be more timely or critical when we consider where we are in this country. And so before I begin to fill in any of the, of the, of the blanks, could you just tell us about the, uh, the documentary that's coming out and your work around QAnon? Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, well, our work, you know, really started a few years ago when we recognized how uh, big QAnon had become among not just folks on the Internet, but even people, uh, friends and family members that we had seen. And so we want we immediately dug in because it really connected both of our worlds, Marley being more in politics and my career being more on the Internet. Um, and so that question, I think that many people asked at that time was, you know, what's this all about? What is QAnon? And that's where we started, you know, with a sincere curiosity and, and really wanting to start a conversation and get a get an understanding for something that, you know, not a lot of people were talking about. Yeah. And Marley, if I could pass it to you, could you give us just a a really simple way of understanding the complexities of QAnon. I mean, on the surface, it seems simple, but it really is an operation in a sense that needs to be studied. Yeah, absolutely. I think that we've been speaking about it uh, you know, all wrong for several years because we haven't we hadn't had anything like this in our country before, uh, okay. and so you know people say it's this anonymous poster on the internet who's claiming to post government secrets. And it's actually a lot more than that. It is uh, a, yes, all of the, those things as well, for sure. But the way that they have been able to draw in their base uh, and the, the followers of Q is really unique. They've been able to do it in a sort of gamified way, um, sort of an ARG. And uh, so people are able to, they feel like they're, they win something, right? They're, they, it's a very Socratic method. Q asks lots of questions and then you are sent to go look for the, for the, the answers to the questions online. And one of the things that is interesting about it is, you know, the questions that they're asking are very specific to these topics. And so when you look up those topics, the data void on the Internet regarding, you know, if you're going to look up George Soros and Adrenochrome together, you're only going to find those things. So sort of a confirmation bias there. <laughs> and so it sounds like they combined um, the worst of conspiracy theories with a, a gamified system with rewards that gives them that that feeling of, of accomplishment, even if the answers to the questions that they find are are ridiculous. Absolutely. And I think we've been able to see that on the Internet even before Q uh, in places like Reddit and the Chans, where there were organizations such as the Cicada 3301, which had cryptic puzzles where people would, you know, solve the um, whether it be a musical song or phrase and plug it in and use this kind of like cryptography in order to exactly that advance in levels. Uh, but then that kind of like morphed with uh, what people consider LARPing, live action role play, which would not just be behind the screen. This would actually send folks into the real world to fulfill the mission, right? So whether that be finding a QR code that was in a street corner or going into a cave and finding a sphere, 
we saw these kind of um, these communities growing from 2015 to 2018 as mm -hmm. a fairly innocent form of, you know, games, gamification and puzzle solving. But one of the things I'd add to that is that because people are doing their research here or they're going out and finding these things, they feel very, very invested in this process. Right. Mm. So it's not just telling someone that, you know, this is a ridiculous theory you believe it, you're actually just speaking to the work that they've done and they feel very, very defensive and very attached oh, to wow. it. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So in a way, Q asks the questions, um, the people in a gamified fashion find the answers and no matter how ridiculous it is, the supporters support it because they went and found those ridiculous answers. Wow. That's, that's a pretty powerful strategy. Tell us about the documentary and how you, um, how you demonstrate that so that people can really understand what we're up against. Because if they're using that level of sophistication because they understand human behavior and, and our desire to have those little wins and how if we come up with a solution, we defend that solution, in, in QAnon's case, sometimes to the death, like we need to know about this. So if you don't mind telling us more about how your documentary and, and the series, like how it exposes this and what we should know about how to address it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I, with the doc, we, so this is a three part series that will be on Vice starting uh, a week from today. And the first episode really looks at, you know, what QAnon is, how it's brought people in, who the believers are. You know, I think that there's a tendency in the media to say this is all crazy. And there are so many people that are into Q. We're calling half the population insane at this point, right? And so wow. we, what we aspired to do in episode one was really get to know many of the Q followers and, and see, sort of make sure that we're showing a human side of them, um, as well as how they got into it and, and became so deeply uh, engrossed in the process. And so that's, here we go. Yeah, I mean, I think that for us really, again, starting that conversation in like, and leading with curiosity, really seeking to understand like, what was it that pulled folks in over time and then made them, you know, even kind of part ways or choose Q instead of their friends and family in some cases. And I think that split was something that's been widening more and more. And so our documentary in a very kind of earnest way was really trying to find ways to heal some of that division and find uh, and talk to supporters in a way that I didn't see represented or we didn't see represented out there, which was simply like understanding, like really understanding and not trying to um, ridicule folks. And right. um, I think that that's really the type of storytelling that our documentary does. Um, and then in episode two, um, after we cover the what in episode one, we start to move into the who, because okay. we think it's important for folks to understand, you know, who may be at the helm of this in order to analyze their motives, right? I think everybody deserves who follows an ideology like this to, to understand that. So we really dive in then into, the, I think, the depths of the internet to, again, go into that Chan culture, the people who were at the forefront of puzzle culture uh, back in the day. Uh, and the day being 2016 <laughs> um, back then. And then how did it go from, right. you know, being essentially a puzzle into a movement, you know, capturing 30 million plus strong across the right wow. and the left? Yeah. And I think that's a really important thing for us to understand today is this is no longer a right wing phenomenon. OK. Um, and so in episode two, we start to introduce that idea and then finally, episode three examines the why. After we start to identify, you know, who may be suspects, you know, in the network of folks that are associated with this, we start to really dig into the motive. 
Um, we start to dig into what might have been the reason something like this would have been launched. Mm -hmm. And then what are we going to do about this? You know, as a country, I think we all have a civic duty to understand um, what this is. And then I think the work that is truly patriotic moving forward is trying to find a way um, to see yourself, even in people that you disagree with. Right. And yeah. Yeah. Let's let's work our, our way uh, backwards through the yeah. episodes. If, if at the end we're talking about uh, the motivations um, and without giving away, uh, obviously, we want to watch the documentary. But let's talk about what are some of the motivations that you could share based on all of your research? Like, why was this um, not, not so much? Why did it get so big? But what are the motivations of the of the people that you have found behind this? Well, I would say, I mean, there's uh, certainly that is that is a hard question to answer without giving away who who we believe it is. Right. But right. Um, but I, I will say that, you know, there were uh, sort of there's there's been different people that have had the account at different points. And I think all of them have had different reasons for doing so. Um, I mean, a lot of it, this is just has been a monetized grift for many people. Right. Mm -hmm. You yeah. can go on Amazon, Etsy, whatever, QAnon hats, QAnon coffee, all these things are, it's a big business. They're doing quite well, right? Um, and so for a lot of these people, this was probably a monetization. And that's certainly one of the reasons behind it. Others, I think, are uh, very politically aligned and wanted to really tap into the anger and uh, disenfranchisement that so many across the country feel uh, mm -hmm. and that we saw in 2016 in such a serious way. And in many ways, I think it was building on that, right? It was taking a look at the groups of people that voted in 2016 who had not voted in the past and saying like, how do we further engage them? Mm -hmm. um, and this, and this being part of that. Wow. All right. And so let, let's walk a little bit backwards uh, some more because now it, it makes me wonder where, or rather what about this strategy is something that you want to humanize the people that you interviewed from Q and it makes it um, easy for those of us who look at them and we feel like they're they're silly or ridiculous. It's easy to dismiss them. But underneath this is a very systemic way of accomplishing a mass movement. What are the positive attributes of this way of organizing that we have seen now that they turned it and turned it into something that is propaganda, conspiracy theory, very dangerous. But it sounds like underneath there, there aren't things that we should dismiss, but we should probably learn from. Absolutely. I think the idea of the large group of people in the United States feeling very much disenfranchised from their government and the process of it and not understanding it yeah. um, is something that we need to be addressing. And I, I, my hope is that in the Biden years, we are able to address a lot of these these sort of core issues with public policy, right? Um, really making sure that we are we do have a great education system that's well funded, and healthcare and economic development in a way that people can have a living wage for their families, right? right. Um, and and therefore don't feel the sense of desperation that leads them to assume that maybe, you know, make it believable for them that nice. the reason they don't have these things is because there's an elite cabal of people eating children, right? And <laughs> it is dark versus light. Um, right. And the reason behind it really is just sort of a 
corporate, you know, we're looking at the tax breaks that the Republicans have passed over and over again, uh, and just continuing to line the pockets of corporations and not the people. And I think that that that's a big part of it, honestly. Yeah, yeah. I think weaponizing those disagreements is something that we've seen, you know, around the world happen as well. You know, far before QAnon was ever in American shores, and I think that's like one of the things that is so shocking about Q is seeing that sense of disenfranchisement that we've seen in places like the Middle East and South America and to similar outcomes, now suddenly everyday Americans feel that same thing. Right. Um, and so I think like getting to the deeper question of what Marley is is very well is addressing very well is how do you repair a broken relationship, you know, between so many Americans and the institutions that we rely on to maintain a sense of order and truth in the world. This is a very difficult question to, to think about, but it's one that I think we need to address from our institutions to citizens, taking it upon themselves and having those hard conversations with people that you might have blocked before because you right. just didn't want to hear you know, their posts on their feed. But I think what we've learned more than anything, especially recently, is just because you block people from social media doesn't mean they stop existing. Right, right. So I, I guess my question to that would be in your research uh, and in this documentary, have you found that former members of QAnon um, operate in a manner that is in good faith and can kind of see the error? Like, are, are they... Are, are, are they redeemable? I mean, and I don't mean that in a, in a like a spiritual sense. I mean that in a practical sense, because I think a lot of people would make the effort to reach out to members of QAnon if they felt that it wasn't a futile attempt. What did you find in your research in terms of their willingness to have those uh, difficult conversations? Sure. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I'll just say, you know, we start the series with a friend of mine you know, and someone who, yeah, absolutely, I think is one of the most kind and gentle hearted humans that I know, you mm -hmm. know, and I think that I think a lot of it really has to do um, with patience, you know, and, and realizing mm -hmm. that, you know, just because you have an argument or there's, you know, um, these things that you find, um, I guess the best thing I can say is, you know, compassion is often <laughs> you must give compassion often to those who you feel is least deserving. Mm. Um, and those are the folks who need it most sometimes. Mm. <laughs> and so if we take that same attitude and apply it to how we interact on social media, we mm. apply it how we act over the dinner table, then we realize this is not about a single argument, but it's about our relationship with each other. It's about the fabric that connects all of us, and we're seeing what happens when that breaks down on a fundamental and individual level. Right. And so, you know, for us, I think like it's it's very um, it. I'm so happy to see that you know we have a real opportunity to make change in this country, you know, with the right. administration. And, and the changes that we've been seeing. But I think that we shouldn't convince ourselves that um, the work is done, that the work right. is over. Um, right. And so I think exactly that. We just want to be, um, you know, and our documentary wants to be a force for people to get an honest look at this, mm -hmm. um, good and the bad, right? Like, and I think, yeah, hopefully people will start to engage in conversations again, because I think, you know, for folks who are really far down, Right. Who right. some some might consider irredeemable. They might just need a lifeline. And I would mm -hmm. also add to that that the other thing uh, we see 
over and over again with extremist groups or cults or any sort of deep believers of any of any organization is coming at them with facts is definitely not the way to do this, right? I think mm -hmm. that we have a tendency in this country to be like, well, it's pretty clear that Nancy Pelosi is not eating children, right? Uh, <laughs> and let's let you know, let's take a giving facts is never going to be helpful. Uh, they have really pushed themselves to feel that this this is their work, this is their research, and they know better than anybody. And so, really keeping that in mind, and when you're talking to your family and friends who are into Q, uh, and making sure that you're just sort of sticking to the the core issues that we can all agree on. There is a there is corruption in the country. There are issues that need to be fixed in our government and know our government's not working for everybody, but then pointing them in a direction that is actionable, I think is important. Yeah, that's that action part um, <laughs> and the brilliance of the puzzle, uh, I guess, um, strategy or that that approach that gives it its life. Um, we, we have a few moments left here, but I wanna ask two questions at once and, and you could either both address it or take one each. What would you say was the flashpoint that really elevated QAnon from the, you know, for lack of a better phrase, the dregs of society into the mainstream? And then two, would you consider it to be a fairly democratized um, system in the sense that it's not really centralized, but it's a lot of individual actors representing the same idea? Um, so yeah, let, let, let's, let's discuss those two. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we saw in 2018 and 2019 how this spread from kind of the depths of the chans into mainstream platforms like Facebook, YouTube, uh, Twitter, and that was when I think a big flood of messaging started uh, appealing to many Americans who felt that sense of disenfranchisement. So um, we see in uh, middle of 2018, a massive spike um, in searches around QAnon related topics in just QAnon itself. So I think it's worth recognizing that, you know, the way that social media algorithms have been built is to amplify the most outrageous messages, right? Yes. Like it's to really take, um, take these researchers and the ones who might have the most extreme interpretations would end up picking up the most views around that. Mm -hmm. And so I think there was that interplay of almost competitiveness, even among the nons, to come up with the most radical interpretations in order to get noticed uh, by the algorithms and picked up. And then, and we saw how that kind of played out. And the other things I would say around that is that uh, the president retweeting QAnon accounts on a regular basis and, uh, is a big validator. Mm -hmm. And also several, you know, former intelligence community people and things like that who would go on QAnon talk shows and talk about how these are in fact the case. Having validators has been really important. But I think the thing we can all agree for sure that the moment that was really the flashpoint, really the tipping point for QAnon was the beginning of the pandemic uh, um, with people just stuck in their homes, you know, sort of desperate for answers. We're fighting this invisible enemy uh, and and really looking to uh, to content to give them answers on things. And all these documentaries like Pandemic and things coming out, really, we saw a shift massive shift to QAnon, both on the left and right. How intentional was this? You know, because it, it is so brilliant that uh, if it was intentional, then we really have a bigger problem on our hand. But then also, it, I, I see that this could have evolved uh, naturally. 
um, simply because of the opportunity, individual content creators, you put that profit motive behind it and how to you know, connect with the algorithm to get the most views. This could have 100% um, evolved organically. What did your research say about the evolution of Q? Yeah, I mean, I think you're hinting at there's two schools of thought that there was an organic kind of um, the organic nature to the growth versus the intentionality. Mm -hmm. um, we believe that there was intentionality when we investigate the people who were behind it. And I think, you know, honestly, growing up outside of America, this is not new. What's happened with QAnon has happened in the Middle East. It's happened in the in South America by many of the same folks or, you know, by the institutions that we're talking about here. Right. So I think right. like when we look abroad and we see the examples of this type of radicalization and this ideology at play, this is simply a new version of that. And right. it is shocking to everybody that this could work so effectively on American shores. Marley Clements and Bayon, uh, <laughs> we made it so far. Uh, <laughs> pronouncing your name so well all up to this point. Thank you so much for sharing this information with us. The documentary comes out. The first episode is January 26th. Yes. Yes. And it's on Vice TV, uh, The Search. And again, it is entitled The Search for Q. This work is very important. I want to talk about it so much more, but it looks like I'm going to have to watch the documentary. Well, I hope you do watch the documentary do. and yeah. have us back. It was a pleasure to, to talk to you. Thanks so Absolutely. much for having us on. Thank you so much. Thank you.